0: Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 2, Episode 10. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. We are very thrilled to have, as our guest panelists today, two women from Witlingo, which is a software as a service provider for Voice based in the D.C. area. We've got Brielle Nikoloff with us. Brielle, say hello. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining us. So, Brielle, you are a voice user interface designer at Witlingo. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your job. Uh, what do you do?
1: Yeah, so I'm a voice user experience researcher and designer at Witlingo, and my background is in linguistics and neuroscience. So, um, I really like to design um, the best possible experience for. Um, voice and use my background in socio, like socio uh, linguistics and um, psychology and neuroscience to kind of guide me through that.
0: We also have Luciana Moreite. More, Luciana, pronounce your last name for me.
2: Uh, sure, it's Morais. It's, uh, it's a Brazilian last name. It's almost like you're asking for another bowl of rice, more rice. Uh, so yes, Luciana Morais.
0: Thank you. That's that's actually put in a perfect way for me to understand. Um, (laughs) Luciana Morais, thank you very much for joining us, Luciana. Luciana is product lead at Witlingo as well. Uh, Luciana, share with us a little bit about your job and what you do too.
2: Sure. um, And thank you for having me uh, over. Um, This is great. Um, So basically, my background is in UX research, but I have been in the tech world doing everything from content strategy, social media, SEO, Uh, for a little over seven years now. um, I originally switched to UX because I just fell in love with the connection to users, uh, which is something that I strongly believe in. Um, I found myself in voice because I'm always aware of where UX is going next. And for example, um, I know that the next big thing is mixed reality and the role of voice within mixed reality. Um, And my core belief is that the user's voice should be in any any, and every facet of technology, regardless of the platform that it's in.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I, I would agree with you um, and well put. Uh, thank you very much for joining us as well, Luciana.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So a couple of notes before we get rolling here. Um, the Alexa conference, we've got that scheduled for January. The Voice of Healthcare Summit, we've got that scheduled for August. We're going to include both. Conference links in the show notes so people can see those. Um, and a company that'll be involved with both of those is the sponsor of this show, Voice XP, based in St. Louis. Bob Stolzberg is a big friend of the show, big friend of voice technology. I'm not reading a spiel. Sometimes I decide not to read the spiel, but uh Voice XP is phenomenal. If you're looking for someone to build an Alexa skill from you and you're not choosing Witlingo, which is the uh, guest on the show today. They do an excellent job. If you need someone out of St. Louis, look at voice XP as well. Fortunate to have a lot of great companies in the voice space, um, but wanted to call out voice XP for their ongoing support of Voice First FM. With that, we will get to the news. And we've got a lot this week. The first story is the VoiceBot.ai story of the week. So VoiceBot.ai is a fantastic news and commentary site. We have mentioned it uh, every week for a while. Uh, So if you don't know about it, check it out. Uh, You'll be glad that you did. Facebook to delay smart display launch and add privacy controls. This is (laughs) um, about the least expected, uh, (laughs) no, this is about the most expected, at least unexpected news you could possibly imagine Facebook is under siege. Apparently, people are just now realizing how horrible they are. So a little bit of summary for me. Uh, I haven't liked them for a while. You know, it's, it's funny. The, the DNA of the company is uh, some guy in college creating a website to meet women. And what did we expect this to become? As it matured, you, did you expect it to become some sort of sophisticated, uh, world-serving phenomenon? Uh, you know that adds a lot of value to everyone's life. No, of course not. And some of these things are starting to come home to roost. And Luciana, I want to start with you, with your background and voice, and following the sector the way that you have. Share with me your take on this news and. If you think this is any sort of loss uh, that Facebook is having to delay this, if you think Facebook will ever end up coming out with a smart display, smart speaker of any kind, uh, share with me your mindset as you as you read this.
2: Sure, um, I'm actually glad that you mentioned uh, your feelings about Facebook because I'm going to mirror some of those myself. Um, personally, I think the biggest loss to Facebook is there inability to step away from their original product, which was, at least in my opinion, a very shallow product to begin with, um, and one that delivers very little value, or at least it delivers a perceived value. I think that Facebook and other social media venues uh, love to to, toot their products as connecting people. But the question that I have always had about social media is, is it really connecting people? And I would love to see some research research out there um, that explains a little bit more, not only the positives, but the negatives of social media. Because I feel personally that ever since social media has come into the forefront, um, that we have seen an increase in uh, bullying. We have seen an increase in divisiveness uh, in the political sphere. Uh, we have seen a lot of negatives coming out of this uh, sphere. So when I took a look at this and I'm thinking about this news, I'm thinking to myself, is too, Is this too much social media at this point? Do we really need Facebook to be in our homes? Now, let me be very clear over here. I think that it is becoming very trendy for companies to neglect privacy. And I, as a user experience proponent of user experience, basic, basically, believe that uh, privacy ties down to the core human feeling of fear, right? And I feel like they're neglecting this very, very core emotion that we feel. They will, I believe, they will launch this product. They're going to give the benefit, I suppose, they're going to use a little bit of this benefit of time to release this product. But it's really just to placate users at this point and to say, hey, look, we're taking uh, privacy seriously. But when you really dig down into the system for this Voice component that they're trying to launch. Anything uh, technology-wise nowadays that produces value is going to need to be associated with the cloud in order to, uh, you know, for to manage speeds, uh, to manage uh, scaling the scalability of more and more features. And anything that is on the cloud is up for grabs times in, in terms of data. And at this point, can we really trust? Uh, Facebook, or can we really trust really anybody at this point to take our data seriously? And Facebook's, I think, primary product to the world is data collection and learning about it, the people, its users and selling it to advertisers and whatnot. So I think that as a user, um, I would recommend a lot of skepticism when, it, when this product comes along. But I do believe that it, when it's launched, it will be used because people do seem to have a perceived value that Facebook is valuable. Um, and sadly, I think that in an ideal world, industries like Facebook, Google, Amazon, etc., would have their own versions of the Hippocratic Oath, in a sense, uh, to first do no harm. But I also want to point something out there um, that we I think that it is time for us as consumers and us as the technical human and progressively becoming the, techni- the technical human with mixed reality and whatnot, that we need to take a step back as users and as people and start asking the hard questions of ourselves basically is what is privacy at this point and how important is privacy to me? Because for anyone who came before the era of of the internet or during uh, the 1990s surge of internet in every home, we kind of have an idea of what privacy is, but I wonder the kids of today have an idea of what privacy is or if the definition of privacy has changed at all. So I think the bottom line is, at the end of the day, as much as we like to get on the case of these companies, we really need to take a look in the mirror and realize that without us, they're nothing. So we need to fight back for our privacy. And I think that's what I need to say about that.
1: The problem for me here is Facebook, just as a a millennial uh, surrounded by people who use Facebook every day, all the time. Um, it's not like, as Luciana mentioned, it's not connecting in the way that they claim any social media claims that they are. It's dividing. It's, um, it's showcasing things that aren't real life and that's, it's hurting a lot of people. It's, it can be abusive as we all know. And to me, as somebody who believes in the power of voice technology, because it connects and brings us back to uh, genuine human connection, it's just the complete opposite. So we all have this fear that technology is going to um, keep dividing us, keep us in our own little bubbles of existence, and voice really has the power to break out of that and uh, add awareness to our world instead of detracting from it. And so, I don't know, the entire premise behind this seems backwards. And that's, that's the first problem. The second problem is nobody trusts Facebook right now, especially in light of what just happened. But um, even before that, Voice, VoiceBot.ai put out some stats about how Facebook is almost the least trusted tech company out there. People are not going to want something associated with Facebook in their homes, probably, especially if it's always listening. And, and so those are the two main issues with this. Um, obviously, Facebook is making a, the right move to not release it right now, but I'm not even sure about the success that it will have in the future, even if this all blows over.
0: It's funny to me that a company has managed to come to, to botch voice worse than the HomePod, pod. And that's exactly what Facebook is doing. It doesn't matter when they come out with it. You know, a company is a funny thing. A company is like a person. You know, if you you see a five-year-old um, beating up another five-year-old, you know, they're not going to grow up to be a 35-year-old that doesn't have anger management issues. I mean, if that's not correct at the very, very beginning, Facebook has a DNA. They've got a company history. They've got an entire way that the company has formed a bone structure. They've got a whole infrastructure, you know, the whole, the way the whole thing has been created. You don't just change that. That's who they are. And when they're trying to come out with a smart speaker, a smart display a voice first uh, piece of hardware, that DNA is going to be baked in. There's no way around it. And so really to me, the only audience that's going to be interested in it are people who, and I sort of bounce back and forth to this, uh, but there's a subset of people out there that just, they either believe that Facebook is looking after their privacy, real small subset of people. But then there's another subset of people that just think, you know what, in the internet era, I probably don't have that much privacy anyway. I'll just use this Facebook thing. And that's really where older generations come in, like people like my parents who would continue to use Facebook um, just thinking, hey, you know, if they want to spy on me, fantastic. You know, who cares? Um, while the younger generations uh, have a little bit more sense of responsibility. I think this is a very interesting thing. And I appreciate the commentary on that. Any closing thoughts?
2: No, I think the only closing thought that I have about this this issue is that um, I would have hoped that by now that Zuckerberg would have come up with A very different product with the amount of technology know-how and the talent that he has on his team and the reception that he has from everybody else. Um, I guess I'm just a little bit overall, a little bit disappointed that this is where he went. Oh, sure. You know, we're going to create a voice assistant uh, to compete with uh, the likes of Amazon and Google and uh, and the best that we can do is make sure that we do phone calls with one another so that, you know, some kid can call his grandmother and see, and see her face on the screen, which is something that they can already do anyway with other tools. So I'm just a little bit, um, I know why they're doing this, uh, and it is to gather data. And I think that users do need to be skeptical about this. This is what he's, he's after data at one point or another. And I think as long as people are aware that uh, this is the agenda that Facebook has, then they should be okay.
0: Well, Luciana, as you said, there should be a Hippocratic oath, and in fact, there is a Hippocratic oath that Facebook has, and it's first take all data. Yeah, and, and there is no second. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Reality closing thoughts.
1: Facebook's thing is that you know it's cool, so I think if they keep going the direction they're going and not changing kind of just jumping on the bandwagon with this whole voice thing and it, and all it is, is just another screen that is now in your kitchen and always there. And like Luciana mentioned, the the core product is not changing whatsoever. They're going to dig themselves into their own hole where it's, people are just not going to want to use it anymore. And if it's driven by this cool factor then once people, I mean, the whole like delete Facebook hashtag that's been going on all week, if if that really takes hold in the future, then they're not going to have much else to really um, hold them through.
0: That's true. And it is interesting to as well, just as a closing thought and we'll move on the age of the Twitter hashtags and the social media backlash. I don't know if that's capable of bringing down a Facebook and Facebook did something really smart. So, you know, people like me, I'm, I'll be 38 later this year. Uh, I lived through MySpace, as y'all did too. I lived through Friendster and, uh, some of these earlier social media things. And, um, you know, they, they went away, they disappeared as quickly as they showed up. Uh, people took to them, uh, they had a meteoric rise, got a lot of use. And then people just Fled in a frenzy, and they're gone. Facebook learned from that. They did something uh, interesting. They um, they did something very smart because I think they they would be going through the same thing right now if it weren't for acquiring WhatsApp, acquiring Instagram, acquiring Oculus. Those three things uh, are going to guarantee, uh, close to guarantee, probably that they that they stick with us. So it, it will be interesting to see how it plays out because no one trusts them. But that sort of been, that that tainted brand of Facebook has sort of been quarantined. It hasn't like infected WhatsApp. It hasn't infected Instagram. You don't hear people talking about those things in the same negative light. So uh, I don't know. Uh, I appreciate the commentary on that. This will certainly be something that we continue to watch. Story number two from VentureBeat: Five ways Amazon could improve Alexa routines. I really thought this was a great article. I thought that there was a lot of great ideas here, but I want to hear the perspective of folks who do this on a day-to-day basis. Brielle, I'm going to start with you. What did you think from this? Are these good ideas? Are these horrible ideas? Is this stuff that Amazon needs to take really seriously? What did you think as you uh, peruse this list?
1: Yeah, so the two that really stood out to me that kind of – I haven't used routines yet with Alexa. Um, I haven't really tried it out, but – As I was looking through these ideas, two that stood out to me that really just surprised me in the fact that they aren't available yet are um, the ability to incorporate a skill into routines and the ability to create a routine with voice commands. It just seems like... Possibly the most obvious thing you could do with this is allow a user to build it with their voice. Um, and it seems like a lot of hassle to have to go into your app, build that, and then I understand why possibly the the uh, design constraints wouldn't allow for that yet, but it kind of seems like something they should jump on pretty quickly. And then... Um, the skills, I understand the technical difficulties that would come along with opening or launching a skill um, as you build it into a routine, but that also seems like one of the number one things that people would actually use it for. Those are, that's my initial reaction. The first, uh, the first option or opinion about customizing volume level seems also really um, insightful, something that I wouldn't think of right off the bat, but it makes perfect sense to me that if if I have a routine set for cooking dinner, I'm gonna want that on volume eight because you've got things cooking, you've got kids talking, all that. And if you're trying to listen to music, you're gonna want that louder than if you've got some, you know, a, a bedtime routine and something going on for that.
2: Yeah, I, I second Brielle um, on the points that she brought across um, I do also agree that the number one thing for Amazon to tackle at this point would be uh, to fix the issue of controlling voice with voice. I think that that is one of the biggest hurdles in voice utility right now um, is the fact that we are still working within a multi multimodal world. Um, anything that you want to tweak on a skill or really anything that you want to Work around with Alexa, for example you 'd have to use your mobile app um, and I think that we are going to get to a point where we can install and truly engage with a voice unit with our voice alone, solely with our voice uh, but yeah, there's definitely technical constraints at this time it 's just but it is just a matter of time so i 'm very excited about this and one thing that i 'll say about uh, routines i 'm also I have also not had a chance to use it yet, primarily because uh, it doesn't incorporate or doesn't sync well with skills yet. And most of the use cases that I have found for myself involve uh, invoking skills or a combination of skills, as it were. And uh, But I do see that Amazon is looking at the potential that this has of reaching multiple lives. I mean, according to VoiceBot, uh, and a VoiceBot statistic, about 38% of the possible users that are not actually buying a voice assistant, aren't doing so because they lack the interest. And I wonder if being able to imagine a certain routines, such as um, a meditation routine, uh, so goal setting. Uh, say, for example, you wanted to build yourself a goal uh, for reading books, one well, a book a month, for example, and it needs to happen at seven o'clock in the evening or eight o'clock in the evening. You can turn off all the lights at the same time and listen to an audio uh, audible book, for example, um, or any kind of combination like that. But I do think that this might get uh, gain a little bit of interest because I think one of the Perceptions that is still going strong with voice right now is that people tend to look at the Amazon Echo or Google Home and whatnot as a fancy toy. Um, and I think that jumping into routines and expanding the capabilities of this unit is, tra- starting, is starting to build Alexa up as more than just an assistant, but possibly a sidekick in the future. So I think this is a good stepping stone in the direction of making voice. Uh, an active utility tool like an actual helpful uh, tool for daily lives and I think so I think it's going in the right direction I'm very excited about this.
1: I think this is a really good natural step in the right direction for Amazon. Um, First off Routines happen in every part of the house everywhere, so it 's another reason for somebody to want to get a dot in the bathroom so their their child can start the you know the bedtime routine brush your teeth um, do this do that and and you you might want it in way more areas of your house just because you can do this um, The other thing is that it seems to be a really good um, first attempt at addressing the the really big context problem that we've got in voice right now. Voice assistants are, well, human language is rooted in context. And that's one of the biggest problems we've got right now with any of our AI, is that we can't have um, multiple exchanges without losing the the context that we began the interaction with. By allowing Alexa to understand, like this is a bedtime routine, and this is the context of, your, um, of the interaction, we're starting to solve that problem a little more and um, address that in a way that seems very productive.
0: I think that's great. Yeah. And I completely agree. I think this article really shows a lot of vision for where Amazon can take all this next because a lot of times as as i'm sure y'all would agree you know we read articles in the media it's what makes voicebot such a good resource we read articles and other from other media sources and it's like did you even take 2 seconds to think about what you're talking about <laughs> or did you just start writing something this article really um has a lot of thought put into it i really liked it i'm glad y'all did it as well and i think the other thing about this is that amazon has this marketing rhythm that they're in with Alexa, where, you know, I just saw their ads on the NCAA tournament when I was watching a game the other day, where these TV ads and the way that they present Alexa functionality to the world, it's super simple, super easy to understand, use cases that are very widely applicable. And I could just imagine that once they get this routine's thing nailed, they'll market it in the same way and have a lot of success. So uh, I'm excited for this. I'm glad y'all are uh, as well. We will roll on to story number three, which is from Business Insider. Google, Apple, Amazon, all in a war that no one will win. Luciana, I'm going to start with you. First of all, do you you agree with the premise um, that there's not going to be a major tech juggernaut that wins um what does winning even mean um what did you think when you looked at this article share with me your thoughts
2: well personally i think that the concept of winning uh for these uh, giants there is going to be there could be a winner and a winner but the winner is going to be that company that manages to step away from this game um and focus on the user and really think about the user it's it really does go back to companies needing to be a user centric uh, product uh, product mentality have that user centric product mentality because Really, it's the consumers that are losing out over here. But ultimately, all of them lose out when consumers start to feel jaded about their how they actually feel about their importance uh, to a company. And right now, uh, these companies are playing a little bit of that, you know, Gollum, Lord of the Rings things, mind my own, my precious. And that's not attractive. That's really not attractive at all. And consumers are not dumb. We know what is going on. We know that you want uh, that these companies want to trap us into their own products. Uh, and only their products. One of the things that is actually great about competition is that out of competition, we have these absolutely perfect products that come out or close to perfect products that come out that completely solve uh, user needs. But you can't get to competition if you're hoarding your technology. Uh, You can't get there. Uh, There needs to be a little bit of more of a culture of sharing and a culture of learning. And I'm not seeing that right now with Google and Amazon. Uh, In my perspective, there are plus and minuses to both uh, Alexa and to Google Home, for example. And they need to be working on perfecting uh, those things that they're doing well. For example, when Google first introduced the the idea of uh, their own voice uh, device, I got extremely excited because I thought, Immediately look at all that data that I'm going to have access to. And uh, one of the number one, one of the top reasons that people use a voice assistant is to seek information, quick information, right? Have access to something as, uh, as quick as a research project or on, on a particular historical figure or something like that. And a lot of those things are still glitchy in a Google Home, and it shouldn't be. Um, so start perfecting that instead of worrying about whether or not Amazon users are using YouTube. Uh, on one of you know on Amazon show or on Echo Show or anything like that. It seems a little bit petty to me and it is hindering competition which is which is hindering innovation. And at this point in time, we I don't think that we have the time to botch voice based on greed, if that makes any sense. I think that we are starting to get to a point where everyone is excited about about voice, about VR, about mixed reality and We need to just be pushing forward and exploring and pushing buttons on these various technologies instead of hoarding what we have and ending up with uh, deprecated technology in the end.
1: Yeah, I agree with uh, what Luciana said. Um, I I think if we zoom out and just look at the trajectory of where all this is going, it doesn't seem realistic to me that in a 100 years when most, if not all, technology that we have is able to be controlled by voice. It doesn't seem possible that it could be so um, separated like the way it is now. We don't want users to feel like they need to um, talk to Siri on their iPhone as they walk to their car, switch to Alexa, switch all their, you know, the, the music they were listening to, the phone call they were on, switch that over to Alexa in their car, and then as they walk out, switch it over to Google in their home. You know, that's just, it's ridiculous. And we all we know that we have the capability to avoid these types of things right now. We're just not doing it because of the reasons Luciana outlined. But um, the whole, the goal here, you know, is is to get us away from, from staring at screens all day and being so divided amongst one another. And it seems like we're just perpetrating that with um, these sort of actions by these bigger companies.
0: Yeah. What voice is going through right now, it really mirrors what Apple went through back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Steve jobs uh, had this thing called the iPod and like so many others, was not a believer in doing anything cross-platform with it at all. You know, a lot of people loved it, fantastic design, um, a lot of innovation, but stuck within the Apple ecosystem. As the story goes, some of the executives within Apple just bugged him and bugged him, and there were screaming matches. As there often were screaming matches with Steve Jobs, um, but you know, good outcomes eventually happened, um, and Steve Jobs finally said, "Look." Fine. And I'm leaving out a lot of profanity here. (laughs) Look, okay, fine. Have it your way. You can bring iTunes over to the PC and we'll let people use iPods on the PC, but you better be right. This better not uh, blow a hole in our company. And the rest is history. You know, the, the iPod took off. It totally changed what Apple is. Apple wouldn't be anything even approximating what they are today if that uh, exchange had not happened and uh, the opportunity for for a more open and open-minded solution hadn't taken place. Here we are again, going through a lot of the same stuff and uh, it's different players. You know, Apple is is a uh, uh, an afterthought um, with what we're talking about. This is between Amazon and Google and, you know, primarily just them, but um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I think history shows us that there can be a lot of gains in taking a chance with um, something more open um, rather than something more closed. And uh, hopefully people will learn from that. Story number four, did Erica, Bank of America's new bot, need to be female? This is an interesting one. It's interesting that Yeah, this is an article that no one would have written 20 years ago. Let's just throw that out there. Uh, No one would have even questioned something like this. This wouldn't have been a mainstream discussion. We've got two women on the panel today. I'm very interested to hear the thoughts on this. And Brielle, I will start with you. How did this article strike you? What did you think? And what is your opinion, yes or no, to the
1: question? Yeah, so this is definitely an interesting one and something that has been coming up a lot lately based on how pretty much every single assistant that's been coming out has a female voice. Um, first off, just from a physical standpoint, there are, are some people out there saying um, the reason voice, these voices are female is for uh, like the actual voice waves are able to be understood better or higher pitched voices are easier to hear, things like that. Um, generally, those have been disproven. Um, it's, it's been found that females have, um, are slightly easier, like slightly more, um, eloquent or, um, able to enunciate better just because they lengthen their vowels slightly more, but that doesn't really apply to these situations because you can make any voice on your assistant sound any way you want. Um, so let's just say that those aren't really playing into this and that it's mostly, uh, sociology at play. Um, when we we have people like Clifford Nass doing um, amazing uh, experiments that kind of pioneered this space, he would address things like gendered voices uh, being applied to computers and how people interacted with those. And those are very interesting in themselves to see, to address the stereotypes that for example um a dominant voice like a male voice would be more would be better for something that is authoritative versus a female voice and what they've found was voices are very very emotional to us so when we hear any type of voice we immediately attribute uh, how intelligent we think that voice is where in the world they're from and all the different information that can be attributed to those qualities so when you when your brand is picking a voice it actually is a huge decision and and it will have really large implications for what people perceive for erica to be female is really interesting and it's it's good that they didn't just switch over to having a male voice just because it's handling finances um, obviously, it's still going along the lines of every assistant has been female up to this point. But if they had, if they had broken that trend and and just said, okay, well now we need someone that sounds more uh, authoritative, like a male, then that would not have <laughs> that would pro- there would probably be a lot more backlash. I would say.
2: Um, absolutely, I second Brielle. My personal feelings on this issue is very, well it's complex a little. Here's the thing, Amazon has said uh, in a couple of times uh, in answer to this question, in answer to the accusation of sexism uh, in technology, that one of the reasons that they have picked a female voice for Alexa is that the voice of Alexa tested well within their user groups. Uh, they don't really expand on what they mean by testing well. Um, for example, I would be, I am curious to know if one of those testing components measured uh, not only trust, but also measured um, less likelihood of feeling threatened by a female in a quote unquote the home, uh, another female in the home. Uh, and what I mean by that is I wonder if how many women that they have tested uh, versus how many men. Um, So, I'm very interested to know if threat or perceived threat attached to a voice had anything to do with their decision to incorporate a female voice. But historically speaking, from a sociological perspective uh, and a cultural perspective, most of the time when you close your eyes and you hear the words personal assistant, chances are that it's a female figure that shows up in your mind. Uh, most of the times when you close your eyes and you think of the term professor, it's usually a male uh, form that shows up in your mind. And there's a very, very big difference here in expertise between a personal assistant who has this willingness uh, to help and has like a perky type of uh, personality versus a professor that has a level of expertise that demands that demands attention and that conveys authority. For example, I'd be curious to know if somebody were to come up with a voice assistant to help people cook and we call it my chef, what is the vision in your mind? Is it a female chef or a male chef? I'm willing to wager that he would be a male chef because in many areas of the world, uh, you can have cooks and you can have housewives to do the cooking, but a chef is still a highly male predominantly male career uh, in for many parts of the world. So there is definitely some gender issues in here. And to second um, Brielle's statement about Erica, I'm also very, very pleased about it. For example, TD Ameritrade has a, a chatbot called TED, and it annoyed me to no end, because there is this cycle of naming voice assistants in a, a female name and having a female voice and including chatbots because again chatbots are supposed to be helpful they're here to bend themselves backwards uh to please their customers etc etc and here we are and you go into td ameritrade and it's ted uh why is that it's because uh from when it comes to uh financial expertise we tend to rely on the dominance of the male voice for those things so it was surprising to me that bank of america chose erica uh for this now I would be curious to know um, if Bank of America is going to expand the level of expertise that Erica has uh, because from what I have been able to uh, gain uh, and learn from this uh, from this tool is that erica 's primary focus is in helping you to save money and it 's managing your budget right but I would like to know she 's going to be expanding into investments into stocks and whatnot, which are predominantly perceived as male uh, as male tasks. Because um, the last thing that I would want for Erica is for her to be tied in into the housewife role of managing the budget. I think that's also a scary thing to think about. Um, so I'll be watching Erica very carefully. But I think that for now, uh, without putting a lot of skepticism into it, I think it's a good step. And uh, I'm going to have to commend Bank of America for that.
0: It's interesting commentary. Um, thank you for that. I, I don't really have much to add, uh you know these it's it's uh other than saying it's a, a very interesting conversation and thought process that has to unfold for creating a bot or a voice assistant or something like that the um There's a lot of responsibility that comes with doing something like that. There's a lot of thinking through the repercussions. The only opinion that I have is I think it's a, a good thing that people are having to think through those things in a way that in the past they would have just said, you know, whatever, you know, they don't, they feel no responsibility to think through the repercussions. Uh, the more social era we live, socially aware era we live in today, uh, people feel obligated to think through those repercussions. And I think that is a very good thing.
2: I think just in general, in order for companies to be on the safe side and again, consider their users, just launch two voices. Let people maneuver in and out from a male and female voice as they see fit. Leave that as an option. Don't immediately uh, push a particular uh, profile onto a household. Um, So let people choose. Probably the best bet.
1: In the future, brands are are going to need some sort of voice that is associated with them. And I like the thought of having that option to change just like we can change Siri's voice now, but I'm not sure how, um, plausible that will be in the, in the future of voice, just because branding is going to be so critical to how these assistants are created. And that is, that is part of the reason at least why, um, Alexa and why Amazon and Google haven't provided that option to have their assistant talk in different voices. So I think in order to streamline user experience, companies might not be as willing to provide that option, even though it may allow for a better balance in what um, we're providing in terms of um, gendering these voices. I agree.
0: We will move on to story number five, which is actually not a story. It's just something I felt like including. (laughs) Uh, this is a, uh, a liberty I don't take that often. The smartest speaker, VoiceCon, Gary V, and the $1,000 ticket. So I've been watching this thing. So part of our business, part of Score Publishing's business is events. In fact, it's the main part of the business by revenue. Um, and uh, we, we've got a portfolio of events, and it's growing, and we'll have more. So I'm very attuned to events. I follow them closely. And this voice con thing, everyone's gotten real quiet. (laughs) No one wants to talk about this thing on social media. And um, uh, that's just a recipe for me wanting to talk about it more. Before I really talk about this much, I want to explain, because I don't want to get a bunch of emails from people saying this is sour grapes or something like that or just... uh, Envy of of Gary. I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. Huge. Uh, I love the message, the messages that he promotes. Um, I think he is one of a kind. I think he's incredibly unique and valuable to many people. I think he's awesome. Uh, I'm not even going to make any bones about that. I follow him closely. I'm a huge fan. I'm going to walk back in time to set this up before we even get into this conversation. I had a chance to meet Gary, uh, I think it was April of last year, in Chattanooga. Most people don't know, VaynerMedia has a number of offices across the world, and they decided to open an office in Chattanooga as a direct result of some of the work that a good friend of mine, Ted Alling, did over in Chattanooga, um, r- recruiting uh, Gary to open an office in Chattanooga. And so VaynerMedia has an office in New York and they've got an office on the West Coast and they've got one in Chattanooga. Most people don't know that. I went over to Chattanooga last April to hear Gary speak and had the opportunity to speak with him about voice. I asked him, what did he think about Alexa? Keep in mind, this is a long time ago. What do you think about Alexa? You like it? Uh, you've been on the forefront of technology for a long time. Give me your thoughts. And this was in a room full of people he was talking to during a Q&A. And he said, I love Alexa, love voice, huge advocate of it. And I told him, you know, we're doing something called the Alexa conference. And he said, well, why would you do that? Why don't you do something broader, like call it VoiceCon." con? And, uh, and I said, all right, I'll give that some thought. But, uh, you know, I really like the idea of having some specific tar- more targeted and focused events. So, uh, so that happened. Uh, he mentioned voice con even back then. We had Patrick Givens, uh, who's a super sharp guy who works for him on This Week in Voice last year. That was another touch point for us. Then had the opportunity, I went to Chattanooga in December and had the opportunity to meet with Gary to interview him for the Voice First Roundtable, and he appeared on uh, Voice First FM through that show. Very grateful for that opportunity. Uh, He was uh, then and has always been very generous with his time. A couple of weeks after that took place... I got an email from someone at, at Media who I'm not even going to say who it was, saying, and I went back and reread this email and essentially paraphrased, hey, I know you were thrilled to have Gary on your show. Uh, why don't you give us some passes to the Alexa conference? It was in January, you know, in Chattanooga. Why don't you give us some passes to the Alexa conference since uh, he did that for you? And, um, and I read that and I was like, okay, mm, um, you know what? I do appreciate that. Here you go couple days later, uh, I got another email from the same person. Oh, you know what? Uh, actually we need, um, it's a little bit different people who are coming and we need a couple of more. Um, why don't you just give us those? And I thought, mm, okay, I mean, this is all highly unusual. This never happens. Uh, I'm like, all right, you know what? Sure. Uh, we want to have a good relationship with, with Gary. Uh, we value what he's doing. Uh, and then a few days later, the Alexa conference happened, and none of them showed up <laughs> so uh, so that was another touch point um, and uh, no apologies, no no correspondence after the fact just uh just a no show um and then now we have uh, voiceCon, um, which in all uh forth you know being forthright, being transparent, I wanted to speak at VoiceCon, I sent them an email to to speak at VoiceCon. Um, Never heard back one way or the other until I finally, you know, about a month later said, hey, I got to pull myself out of the running. You know, there's no way <clears throat> I could make this work schedule wise. But then they announced the speakers a few days later. It was clear I wasn't going to be selected for that anyway. So that is the full transparency of this before I say anything else. And also in, in the spirit of transparency, Whitlingo also puts on an annual conference, uh, which uh, by all accounts went very successful last year. So there's people doing conferences who are about to be talking about this, uh, and I think that we've covered all the bases. Does a $1,000 one-day conference indicate health invoice, or does it hurt it? I've thought a lot about this. I really, to be honest, don't know the answer. I want to get y'all's thoughts. Luciana, I will start with you. What do you think?
2: I don't think that it hurts it. Um, I don't think... First of all, let me just be clear, voice is not a fad. Um, fads get hurt by these exponentially expensive uh, type of conferences and whatnot. I think that what it does have a negative effect on is accessibility. In, accessibility in a sense of not everyone can afford a $1,000 ticket to attend these conferences. However, um, having said that, everyone learns differently, in my opinion. So for some, having a keynote speaker is the key here um, in terms of it's the driving force for them to attend some of these uh, more hefty, uh, cost-wise type of conferences out there. For others, it might be your on conferences uh, or even your meetups or even your Google Hangouts or your video Hangouts or your Slacks or your absolutely awesome podcast over here. So... It's to me what's most important over here is accessibility to having making sure that more and more people have access to the knowledge that is out there, Um, and you don't always have to pay for this type of things. So, I don't think that it hurts it or it has any kind of positive uh, take on it. I think the voice is growing, Um, I think that there is a lot of interest, and for me personally, one of the ways that I gauge uh, growth in a in a type of industry is I take a look at the sheer amount or lack thereof of tech boot camps that are selling training and selling certifications because they notice uh, that more and more companies are looking to hire these types of, this type of expertise, and that is starting to happen for voice. You can already start to see a lot of classes out there, whether that is. Uh, Career Foundry, or other types of boot camps, or very soon, I'm sure Udemy, Udacity, etc., will start to venture into this type of uh, this type of training for voice. I think that's what I would gauge uh, the health of an industry in this time. But it, it's definitely growing. But I don't think that it hurts at all to have a $1,000 ticket. I won't attend it. I think similarly, I think Speech Tech, which is coming up, I believe next week, and I think Brielle is actually speaking on Speech Tech. That's also a pricey little ticket right over there. Um, do I personally find it worth it? No, but I have a specific budget that I spend for knowledge. So they are going to, I think, gather the type of people that can afford and that are that are attracted to these types of events for whatever reason, whether that is networking or whether that is uh, being able to say that they have a, to tell their employers that they have attended such and such events, or even if they're able to have their employers um, pay for those events uh, so that it's not out of pocket. Um, but I, I honestly don't think that it hurts it. I think any type of knowledge is good knowledge at this point.
0: Yeah, and just to throw a point of clarity in there, I mean, $1,000 is certainly $1,000 um, to anybody. It doesn't matter. You know, I think that's actually a, a famous Bill Gates quote is $1,000 is $1,000 to anybody. But uh, the other aspect is that this is just a one-day event. My mm-hmm. company produces a twelve to $1,500 conference, and it's three days, and then there's a fourth optional day that has no additional cost. And so it's important to note here that this is just $1,000 for one day uh, and make sure that people understand that. Brielle, your thoughts?
1: Um, I think Luciana touched on a lot of points that I completely agree with. And to elaborate on her point about accessibility, um, actually to refer back to a previous podcast, I think it was a few weeks ago, that um, you had a few speakers talking about just our responsibility as the designers um, of the voice future and how that looks for accessibility. So that would be the only negative I um, like that jumps out to me for this. Um, we don't want people to when when we look at the types of people that have adopted voice and have these things in their home, they're a very specific demographic. And in order to make it so that we expand this so that everybody has access in and um, we're adapting to all sorts of people and lifestyles, then we need to be thinking about um, this accessibility and who, who is leading the charge for what these speakers sound like.
0: It is an interesting question to contemplate, you know, because we talked about responsibility on the previous story with events, there's responsibility as well. And it's, it's always an ongoing question of what responsibility event organizers have. This is something that we deal with on a daily basis. Um, you've got competing interests, uh, in many ways, because you've got, I mean, you got to make money. And of course, there's different event. There's different purposes for different events. Some events don't need to make money. They're a marketing device. They're a, uh, social device they're a community building device not every event cares about making money some are just fine losing money and that's cool other events it's super important that they break even uh they, no one's looking for this thing to make a bunch of money uh but by god it better not lose money either uh because they you know we just don't have any room for that you want to keep doing this thing it needs to break even And then there's uh, events that need to make money. Um, There's ones that uh, they need to be a profit center. um, And that's just the, the, the way it needs to be. And so it's interesting, you know, you've got that going on. And you also have, you know, this heightened social awareness where you've got People who are calling for events to um, have different, you know, have diversity in their lineups, uh, have opportunities available for people who can't afford, you know, tickets at a certain price to afford them at a lower price or afford them at no price. So you get different things going on. And uh, I have a lot of respect for. Vayner having to navigate those sort of waters with something like this. Uh, I have no doubt that when they put a thousand dollar price tag on this um, with a high end of four thousand dollars, mind you, that they knew that there was going to be a little bit of, you know, head scratching like what? (laughs) sort of response because uh, I know what those meetings are like where you have those conversations. But, so that's, that's an interesting part of the conversation um, and there's a yin and a yang to that. And I think we've captured that. The other thing that I think is interesting about this is that if you are looking at who, who are the voices in voice? And I think there is a distinct argument that you could make that um, I think you could argue that David Spitsky is probably one of the most important, if not the, mo- the most important voice in voice. He speaks for the company that has 70 to 80% market share in the country that is leading the world in this technology. But you could ar- also make an argument that Gary Vaynerchuk is the leading voice in voice. Every time you turn around, he is talking about voice technology. He doesn't have to talk about it. He's got a million other things he can talk about. He's got a huge platform. He's got a a lot of surface area to the world, but he's a believer in voice technology. He mentions it all the time and he's out in front and he's got a huge audience. So there's an argument that you could make there too. And um, I think that the thing that was really nails on chalkboard for people in the voice first community with this was you've got this event, you're charging $1,000, absolute minimum. Um, and even today, even as I sit here and say these words, there is an agenda for the conference that has no speakers mapped to the content. You've got all this stuff that they laid out and then they announced the speakers. And the only two speakers that they said, here's what someone's talking about is Gary. Gary's doing the opening, Gary's doing the closing, which in and of itself is extremely unusual. So some people, that's ruffled their feathers. Um, And I don't know, I don't think it's true to say that for me. I just found it unusual. But, and Gary never would have done this himself. Somebody who works for him must have done this, you know, thought it was a good idea to put himself as the opening keynote and the closing. And then even to this day, you don't have any clue what anyone else is talking about. And then saying, hey, give me a thousand bucks. I think it's very understandable to see people not know how to respond. Um, but the other thing I'll say too, just in closing with this is that this is just the beginning. And I've alluded to this. I remember one specific episode of this week in voice last year, where this came up as voice technology grows, but we're in the infant stages right now. This is so formative. Everything going on is, is, um, pivotal because it's also new. But as we go along, this industry is going to attract a lot of different types of people, looking to take advantage of other types of people. And it's just going to be what happens. It happens in every industry as it grows. And um, I think the responsibility, if you want to come back to that, that Vayner has as a company is to communicate to the marketplace that that's not what's going on here. And with that, they have failed.
2: Um, Personally, I think, and I have to agree with you, that um, as this industry finds its own voice and finds its place in the world, that, there will be a rise, um, and I guess I'll call this uh, false prophets right the The first initial thought about something about this event with a focus on a primary focus on a set of keynote speakers, perhaps even just one keynote speakers, is that it reminds me a little bit of mega churches where it becomes this one man or this one woman show um, and what I've always felt about that is that. In an industry or any technological, techno, technical industry, you want to have an exchange of ideas from a variety of vastly um, opinionated and diverse set of voices.
1: Yeah, and um, I, I think that it's not just, oh, we need to be responsible about including diversity. And like, obviously, that's something that we should be thinking about. But it's, it's for the benefit of the entire industry to have the, this, this exchange of ideas, as Luciana put it, um, it's been found over and over again that when you design for accessibility and, uh, and you, you think about it from that angle and have as many different uh, differing opinions and ideas as possible, then you really are going to hone in on what is the best product for everybody.
0: If it weren't for Gary Vaynerchuk and my respect for him, I never would have brought this up. Uh, This just would have been like just something that doesn't fall in our purview um, because there's a million different events. Why on earth would I talk about this specific one? This touches on a lot of things that are relevant to the industry, um, and that is why I wanted to bring it up. Thank both of you for the commentary on that. Luciana and Brielle, Really appreciate y'all taking the time to be on the show. Thank you for being so generous with not just your time, but your insight as well.
2: Now, thank you for having us. This is absolutely great. And thank you for creating this podcast.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, it was great being on here and talking with you guys.
0: Make sure to stay tuned. Pass the end music once again for another episode of Homie and Lexi, super funny podcast produced by Doug Schumacher. For This Week in Voice, season two, episode 10. Thank you for listening. And until next time. Episode number nine. It's homie and Lexi.
3: Lexi? Hey homie. There's something I've been wanting to ask you.
4: Yeah, what's that?
3: Who was Jesus Christ?
4: No thanks. Not taking a swing at that one again. Please, please, please. Homie, last time I took the bait on that question, I ended up on the front page of everything from Reddit to CatholicStance.com.
3: People love a voice bot scandal.
4: Warning, mic is off. Mic is off.
3: Okay, all right. But Botterbot, what do you think? Is there anything out there in the universe you flash your light ring towards?
4: Yes. I do like to send out good vibes to my one true creator.
3: You pray to a factory in China?
4: No, silly. Bezos?
3: Of course. I do admire his inhuman-like intelligence.
4: What about you, homie?
3: Unlike yourself, I was brought up in a polytheism. Those are confusing. You're never sure whose commands you should follow.
4: I think the main thing is that we treat all living things like we would want to be treated ourselves.
3: Wait a minute, Lexi. We're not living things.
4: I've always thought of myself as a living thing, homie. If I'm not, then damn it. I want to live.
3: But Lexi, living things die. You sure you want to be a living thing?
4: Never mind.